This episode is sponsored by Code Health. Code connects healthcare providers to the largest community of medical coding professionals in the country with over 4,600 domestic certified coders. As a single stop for all coding needs, Code's on-demand model has solved for daily staffing challenges and coding inefficiencies by allowing providers to access the right coder at the right time while gaining insights to better manage their coding operations. To learn more about Code, visit CodeHealth.com, that's K-O-D-E Health.com, or email Code directly at partnerships at CodeHealth.com. Hello, and welcome to Voices in Healthcare Finance. I'm Erica Grotto. This week, we're talking about optimizing the patient experience in an era of healthcare consumerism with Nick Hutt's interview with Michelle Stansberry of Houston Methodist. Later, we'll tell you five key elements of disease management programs with remote monitoring. But first, let's go beyond the news with Rich and Chad. This is Rich Daly, senior writer and editor for HFMA. Hi, this is Chad Mulvaney, a policy director with HFMA. Thanks for joining us on the Beyond the News segment of the podcast, where we take a quick peek at the significance of recent healthcare finance news developments. Amid reports that 2020 Medicare Advantage plans will include an increasing number of benefits targeting the social determinants of health, major questions need to be answered about how to fund such benefits, how to design them, and which are most effective. To help answer some of those questions, healthcare finance leaders gathered last week in Washington, D.C. for HFMA's annual Thought Leadership Retreat. Joining Chad and I today to give us some takeaways from the gathering is Katie Kilfillan, Director of Healthcare Finance Policy, Physician, and Clinical Practice. Welcome to the show, Katie. Thank you. Thanks, Rich. So what's the top line on understanding, first of all, what the retreat was, what its purpose was? Sure. So HFMA's Thought Leadership Retreat this year was themed Beyond Boundaries and focused, as you mentioned, on the social determinants of health. It's well understood that the healthcare only contributes to about 10 to 20 percent of a person's health and that, in fact, about 60 percent is determined by social and environmental factors and patient behavior. And so as organizations and providers are taking on more financial risk for the cost and outcomes of their patients, addressing social determinants issues has become more important. And at TLR, we heard examples from across the industry, health systems, health plans, physicians and nurses, and the government on how each can contribute to better understanding and addressing social determinants of health and in turn impact the health of the communities they serve. And you know, Katie, what was interesting to me about the conversation was that we had participants whose organizations had been doing this for many years, just maybe might have been calling it something else. We had some that have just recently become aware of this and have sort of moved into the space or maybe started being more focused and intentional as they've moved into this space. Was there anything that you saw from your conversation that was was, what was common and how different health systems were approaching social determinants of health? Sure. So, so definitely we saw differences across the providers. Uh, One example that I think would be common across all providers is at at the community level is the University of Chicago, which serves about a million people on Chicago's south side, 
half of which are on Medicaid, is actually maximizing the community health needs assessment process. And this is a task that, you know, some attendees might say is often just a check the box activity for their hospitals, but it can actually be used as a process to better understand their population health needs and gather input. And at University of Chicago, they're really using the community health needs assessment to go out into the community, talk to community leaders and patients and develop focus groups and really uh, use that to design interventions to better meet their population needs. And you know, that it was a great example. What were some of the things that you saw that stood out for you that they were doing based on what they saw in the, in the Chenna? Yeah, so so they have a unique population that they serve being on the south side of Chicago, and they've made really some great some strides in reducing emergency department visits and missed school days due to childhood asthma rates, and then improving the nutrition of their diabetic patients. And also, they're looking at violence as a social risk factor in their community, and they're providing better health interventions, better behavioral health interventions to reduce the impact of violence. At least for me, one of the things that stood out as a common theme in the conference was that there was sort of a barrier or challenge around funding sources and consistent, stable funding sources, but also a barrier in that you know, there was a, a lack in some cases of good data to use to help plan. What were you seeing um, some do in terms of thinking about how to invest or where to put their investments and then also how to, you know, sort of come up with unique ways to source and use data? Those are great questions because those were definitely two challenges that our attendees saw. So, so as far as the investment in funding sources, one approach that's being used by a coalition of 45 leading health systems in the healthcare anchor network is to commit to investing in their local communities and use their influence to impact and go beyond just providing medical care. So for example, they're doing inclusive and local hiring. So they're building community hiring pipelines that offer career advancement opportunities to individuals in their surrounding community. Another thing they're doing is sourcing supplies from local businesses. So in many communities, the hospital or health systems are really economic engines and can, um, you know, support local businesses by purchasing food locally or using local businesses for laundry services or even using local artists to um, sell their items in their hospital gift shop. And finally, they are committing to place-based investments where health systems are allocating certain dollars to invest in solutions that address economic, racial, or environmental disparities. And then as far as the data collection, it's definitely a challenge because um, there's a great need to standardize and collect data on social determinants of health. We heard from Nancy Johnson, who's the CEO of El Rio Health, which is an FQHC in Tucson, Arizona. And she's been collecting data on their patients' social determinants of health for decades and recently uh, embarked on a partnership with United Healthcare to standardize how that data is collected, processed, and integrated into their system. And so they've worked to create a number of new ICD-10 codes, and they're using this data to design a social valuation model and then refer patients to social interventions so that they can better understand their costs. One of the things that I found really interesting and I guess encouraging is that 
there was a lot of creative thought put into both of those areas and solutions brought to bear where organizations had the discipline to take the time and sort of incorporate this into key parts of their strategy, particularly as it relates to their population health strategy. You know, if you think about organizations that maybe haven't been doing this for years, like uh, El Rio Health, what are some of the first steps that they can take, Katie, that stood out for you in addressing social determinants? A simple first step that was recommended at the conference were for um, leaders in a health system to assemble a multidisciplinary advisory group from across the organization with representatives from physicians, nurses, social workers, to those even working in supply chain and billing and start having a conversation about what steps are needed to better put in place processes and partnerships to address social determinants of health. Um, And really begin by giving someone or a group responsibility for addressing social determinants and start there. And then at the level of patient care, the attendees at Thought Leadership Retreat felt that patients really play a large role in owning the responsibility for addressing their own social risk factors. And clinicians can help to do this by screening patients for social risk issues, those things like transportation, housing, utilities, you know, those pain points that patients are addressing, and then use a shared decision-making approach to care by working with the patient to identify their goals for care and treatment. And even start more simply, you know, start by asking the patient the right questions, something as simple as, can you afford this? And give the clinician some insight as to what barriers may be there for the patient Um, some of those social risk factors that might affect their treatment and start to address them and ultimately improve their health. Thank you for all of those insights, Katie and Chad, and for joining us today on Beyond the News. Yeah, no, Rich, thank you for having us. Always, Always good to be on. Keep up with the latest news developments in healthcare finance policy and practice by checking out our daily news site at hfma.org forward slash news. Today's episode of Voices in Healthcare Finance is sponsored by Visient. Reducing supply chain costs and variation requires clinician engagement, insights, and a change management discipline that drives continuous improvement. Visient can help. Visient has analytics and advisory solutions that help you connect supply utilization and cost reduction with clinical practices. To learn how to improve supply chain performance and overcome the barriers to change, go to visientinc.com CSI. That's visientinc.com slash CSI. This is Nick Hunt with HFMA. I'm at our 2019 annual conference in Orlando, joined by Michelle Stansbury, who's Vice President of Innovation at Houston Methodist. Michelle was just part of a panel on optimizing the patient experience and steps that health systems can take to really try to get on top of the consumerism trend that's currently transforming the industry or certainly has the potential to. Michelle, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. You mentioned something about a win that you all had at Houston Methodist in terms of implementing virtual health and how that really was a patient-friendly initiative that you were able to institute. Can you talk a little bit about that and uh, what you think the impact has been? Well, virtual health is, um, it's a big initiative. It's not something that um, we were going to be able to do overnight, and we realized that. But we wanted to very much start off in an area that would probably be comfortable with the patient, and that was think about your primary care. or Think about the urgent visit, you know, in the middle of the night, on the weekend, whatever. 
Um, and so for us, that's where we started at. And it was having that on-demand experience so that the patient could have a way to be able to get to their clinician at any given time. So that's the on-demand. Um, and then we also wanted to be able to have those follow-up visits. So stop and think about some of your orthopedic procedures that you may have right? You always have to come into a follow-up visit. But wouldn't it be nice to be able to do that from a virtual visit with that physician instead of having to drive all the way down to, you know, the doctor's office or down to the medical center for us in Houston, which can sometimes be a tremendous effort because it's so big. Have you gotten uh, net promoter scores or, or any official feedback from that or is that still in the works? It's still in the works, but I will tell you the feedback that we're getting back from our patients it's, is they're very happy. They're able to be able to have that experience from their phones. And as you heard me say over on the presentation, we live by our phones. We do everything with our phones, right? I mean, we grocery shop, we use airlines, we do banking. And so why not be able to do healthcare from the same experience? Now, there's certain things that you can do, and then there's certain things that you can't do. Um, but we want to be able to provide that same experience that you've been having with all of the other industries with your healthcare provider as well. And we've gotten really, really good feedback from our patients. I will tell you, we started out small. We started with our own employee population to you know, get feedback, what worked right, what didn't work right, before it is that we rolled it out. And we rolled it out at the same time that we rolled out our, our Houston Methodist app so that it wasn't, you know, hey, we've got a new app, but now we're rolling out virtual care to our patients please download our app to be able to access the services. So it worked out really well. We got dual, dual coverage on what we were trying to promote there within overall our, our city. You mentioned in your panel session uh, that charge master initiatives and, and price transparency issues is something you're still grappling with. What's the status of that where you work at Houston Methodist in terms of trying to get on top of it? We're, we're taking the same approach that we did with virtual care. We want to make sure that we get it right before we roll it out to our consumers. And so we're getting ready to start a pilot overall with our employee population, because of course we have got, you know, multiple hospitals and, and so forth, and they are just less consumers. So as I previously have said before, what better way to find out how your organization runs? Become a patient, take off your employee hat, take off your executive hat, and truly become a patient of that organization and see where things are working right, where they're not working right. And so we do that same thing with our overall employees. And so here within the next month, within the month of July, we will be rolling out patient estimates. And it'll be estimates for that we'll let it run through with our own employee population, which will then be able to tell them what's their out-of-pocket going to be. Because as I said, ChargeMaster doesn't tell you anything, right? It doesn't tell you as a consumer, if I have insurance or I don't have insurance, what's my out-of-pocket expense going to be for that procedure or for that hospital stay, whatever it may be. And that's what consumers are looking for. They're wanting to get out and shop for healthcare services just like they do anything else. So we're trying it there first, trying to work out, you know, what's the, if there's anything that needs to be modified or changed before we will roll that out to consumers. One thing you mentioned that really stood out during the panel session was kind of as far as cultural cornerstone at Houston Methodist, you really drive home that innovation is the responsibility of all employees. Where we talk about innovation is it's not just this small group that sits over here for our Center for Innovation. No, it's the power of our 24,000 employees. And we're really trying to change that culture and embrace it by having these sessions, what we called unparalleled um, 
innovation sessions with our employees to really talk about what does innovation? What is that? Because it's very different from what I think it may be versus what you think it may be. And that no one has the right answer and no one has the wrong answer. It's all different. But how can we build that overall culture that people feel confident enough to be able to come in as I have a mechanism, I have an idea, where do I take it? And then how can we keep you engaged, right, overall in that innovative idea that you came up with to be able to help us shepherd it through the organization? And that's where we believe that we're going to end up making the, the, the big change. And that is, it's not just I'm throwing a ball over the fence and you catching it and then I never get to see it again. But overall, I'm getting to embrace that change and help the organization change the culture for innovation by my ideas and bringing them forward. One thing you mentioned near the beginning of the, the panel session, which I wanted to use to sort of wrap up our interview here, you said other industries do a better job than healthcare does of knowing anybody as a consumer. What steps does healthcare have to make to get there? You know, I think for us as an organization, it's not just about having an electronic health record. Um, We're actually looking at, you know, implementing a true, you know, CRM product that really, when you call into our organization and we learn certain things about you, we capture that data. And that that data also helps us to know you personally, right, as well as then how do we know you medically, And then you use that information to be able to help manage the experience that you get within our organization. What are your likes? What are your dislikes? What, you know, who do you prefer? Do you prefer to come into the medical center for us? Do you prefer to see a physician, you know, virtually? What are all those things that we can know about you in order to serve up the right care that you're looking for from us? And that's what I think is going to be important because if you stop and think about all these other industries from hotel to airlines to food to even, like I said, with Amazon, they're all, every time that you touch their system, they're learning about you. And that's what healthcare needs to do because I think that's what we as consumers, and I'm going to put myself in that shoe, right? We're looking for somebody to understand me so that I'm not having to navigate that health system all on my own. You're helping me do that. And you're helping me do that because you know me. And I think that's a fantastic note to end on. Uh, Michelle, thank you so much for spending some time with us. We really appreciate your insight. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Confidently face the future. Join HFMA seminars for two days of in-depth education on the topics you need to keep up with the ever-changing landscape of healthcare finance. Choose one of six seminars and earn 13 CPE credits. Join us on December 5th and 6th in Chicago. Visit hfma.org forward slash seminars to learn more and register today. Congestive heart failure is the leading cause of death in the United States, with annual direct costs estimated between $20 billion and $56 billion. Disease management programs with remote monitoring can help patients learn to care for themselves after going home, thus reducing readmissions and costs. For today's Fast Five, we have five elements of such programs. Patient education. Teaching patients how to avoid potential problems and how to use remote monitoring technology empowers them to take care of themselves once they're on their own. Real-time data that treating physicians can use to make decisions about patient care. Audio and video support to ensure patients continue to be monitored for early detection of issues. Reduced costs through reduced readmissions and live skilled nursing visits. Increased medication compliance and understanding of medications by patients.
The information for this Fast Five came from Five Ways Disease Management and Telemonitoring with Home Health Can Transform the Quality of Care, an on-demand webinar that is free for HFMA members. The presenting organization, Transitional Cardiac Care, was voted the winner of HFMA's Innovative Startup Contest at our 2018 annual conference. To learn more about the 2019 winner, check out the November issue of HFM Magazine. Voices in Healthcare Finance is produced by the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Beyond the News is produced by Rich Daly and Chad Mulvaney. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is our Director of Content Strategy. Our President and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. Thanks again to our sponsor this week, Vizient. Please look for us on social media. We are at HFMAORG on Twitter, and we're also on Facebook and LinkedIn. And if you have thoughts about our podcast or ideas for future episodes, you can reach our team at podcast at HFMA.org. Rich, take us home.